morning, family. It's great to see family members spending so much time together actually in conversation, not through a device, not through the telephone, but the way it's supposed to be us talking to each other. It's good to see. Um, today's words are from Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faceless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. All glory and honor to God for the reading of this word. Thank you, Jeff, for that reading of the scripture, and thank you all for being here to hear God's word. As we continue here, we're in the third disputation in the book of Malachi. Uh, this will finish up the third one. We've been through two others that were there. Uh, we've had the lack of sincere worship in chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. We had the profaning of the altar uh, with improper sacrifices in uh, six, uh, chapter 1, 6 through chapter 2, verse 9. Last week, uh, John Weathersby handled the marriage covenant, which was marriage to uh, unbelievers, to pagans, uh, ungodly women, women that do not know the Lord. We think about those uh, those verses last week, Deuteronomy uh, chapter seven, verse two through five. It's worth reviewing to see why that was important. If you want to turn there, maybe on the screen. I cannot remember if I put that in for the notes, but Deuteronomy seven, verses two through five, says these words. It says, "And when the Lord your God delivers them before you, and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, and show no favor to them." Okay, the land of the Canaanites that they're going into. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters uh, daughters to their sons. You shall not take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them, you shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, and hew down their ashram, and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, not, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath. When we look at these words of, of God, when he, John dealt with that passage last week, here is the, the, the rule against marrying foreigners. It is to keep the nation of Israel for this period of time to keep them pure, right? They are to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. They are to be the set-apart ones. Yet they have done this thing, and it's been shown time and time again through the Scripture, that they have married 
those that have different beliefs and they have been corrupted because of it. We see it throughout the scripture. We see it with Solomon, of course, with his 700 wives and whatnot, and he started following their gods. We see it with Manasseh, and what was he doing? He was passing his children through the fire, burning his children alive as a sacrifice to pagan gods. We see how they have been corrupted in marriage, and what happens here in Malachi is that God is giving further judgment on what they are doing, what is happening here at the altar uh, of the Lord. And so it's important to keep these things in mind as we move forward into this specific section where he's going to be talking on about marriage and what the issue is, one of the big picture issues is, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue for specifically these priests. And then coming downward, it comes down to the people of Israel. And this heart is an issue and the people continue or the priests continue to be dumbfounded why things are not going the way they should be going. Why their sacrifices aren't being accepted. Why their worship is not being accepted. And they are dumbfounded by it. Because what is happening is God is not accepting what they want to give Him. God has prescribed the manner in which they should act, and they're not doing it. And we're going to see that too today in this this message about the marriage covenant. Listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts from far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. They say one thing, but their heart betrays another thing to them. They say this thing, but the heart tells what is truly in them. What they truly think about God. And these priests, like a father to a son, are teaching the people of Israel to do the same thing. By their actions, the priests are mirroring what the people will do. If the priest says it's okay, then it's okay for us. We saw this before throughout Malachi. If the priest says you could bring the lame animals for sacrifice, then we could bring the lame animals for sacrifice. If we bring a lame animal to sacrifice and they don't turn it away, they accept it, then that's acceptable. We can do that. If the priest can marry foreigners, then we could do that same thing too. What the priests are doing is exemplifying to the people what the priests are saying God accepts. And it's a lie. The priests are bringing the people into further apostasy. So the question for the day is, for us, remember written, not written directly to us, but a question that we're going to ask ourselves throughout this time period, are you walking in the light of a revealed, or the revealed Savior, or are you walking in the darkness of men? It's the question we're going to ask. We're going to hear it a number of times today. So look at verse 13 that Jeff read. This is another thing you do. So the Lord is continuing through Malachi saying, this is another thing you do. I've said these things about how Judah has dealt treacherously in verse 11, the abomination that's been committed that is there, how you've allowed people to marry the the daughters of a foreign god, and now this is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears with weeping, with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it in favor from your hand. You come in here and you are weeping because uh, because we don't know why the Lord isn't accepting our offering. It's ridiculousness. They know exactly why. They should know exactly why. It's been prescribed how they're supposed to do it and they're not doing it. Yet they come in there with the boldness of saying, we have brought this offering to you, Lord. Just accept it. It's what we want to bring. Why aren't you accepting this, this, this offering? Why are things not going the way we, the, the way we wouldn't, the way we wanted to? Why? We are just absolutely shocked that it's not being accepted. And the Lord is bringing that as judgment against them. Almost saying, are you kidding me? I've told you before. I told your forefathers before. I told you what was required. Remember, when God gives us a commandment, 
When God calls us to obedience in a certain thing, it is the absolute best thing for us to do. He has called them to come before Him in a certain way, and to act in a certain way, and to marry in a certain way, and to take the covenant seriously in a certain way. Yet they're not doing it. And they're wondering why what they're bringing is not accepted. You can almost envision if God were to be frustrated, if He didn't know, the frustration behind this. It's so obvious what's wrong. And you refuse to see it. It's so obvious how far you've, you've stepped away and you refuse to see it. But remember, they're bringing, they're bringing what they want to all of their worship. And the worship includes the entirety of their lives. They're not bringing what God desires. Never mind that they violated the law at pretty much every turn, at every time. Perhaps uh, when they were in exile, when they were in the Babylonian exile and they'd been brought back, they, perhaps they felt it gave them some leeway. Maybe God won't be as strict upon us. Maybe God won't, uh, won't he'll, he'll be okay with this. And remember, we were, we were in captivity for so long. You know, there's got to be some forgiveness for that. You know, just let us get by with this for a period of time. But we know that it's been at least a dozen, if not 20 years since that happened. But this is far from the truth. Maybe even there they thought that they, the exacting obedience wasn't required by God any longer. Maybe they were believing the things that they told themselves about God. Maybe it was because, as we spoke before, that the Ark of the Covenant is gone. They're walking into a, the Holy of Holies, which is an empty room that has merely the foundation stone, which they're placing the blood from the sacrifices on. The Ark is history. We can't see it. So maybe God really isn't watching. But we know He certainly is because they're certainly seeing the tears upon the altar that is happening there. God is righteous and holy and He demands that those who follow Him uh, reflect His character in the things that they do. God requires that, he, that those who follow Him reflect His character in the things that they do. And they are not reflecting God in the worship that they're giving. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6 tells us, it says, you can turn there, Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, when he brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery, important to remember this, he says, the desire was this, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What does that mean? The priests themselves are the mediators between people and God. And if it's to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, they are to be those mediators that others that look inside that nation would see who God is. That they would be able to tell other nations who God is. Who the true God is. Not the false gods that they're following. They are called into this to be that holy nation, a kingdom of priests, and they're not doing it. Everything that they're doing is reflecting the character of a God of their own making. Not reflecting the God of Scripture, not reflecting the true God, not reflecting the God who has brought them out, the God, not certainly not reflecting the God who saves, not reflecting the God who is the Creator. It is false worship that they are giving. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 10. Deuteronomy 28, verse 10. So called to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, we just want to get this in here. It says, so all the peoples of earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. Wow. These are the same people in Malachi who are bringing the deaf, dumb, and blind as sacrifice against the rule of God. These are the ones who have been warned against marrying women of a pagan nation because they're going to fall in with the idol's that they worship. It is certainly not an example of this so that all the people will see that you're called by the name of the Lord. In turn, what the people are seeing is people that can do whatever they want. Priests that can do whatever they want. 
priests that are worshiping a God of their own making. Which God are they following? We have seen that they are treating the altar of the Lord and the sacrifice that they make making to him as something that they can just disregard. That they can handle in any way they want. Or perhaps more accurately, they're just treating it casually as something that we don't need to put a lot of care into. How could they miss that true issue when we think back to that Deuteronomy 28.10? What are those other nations seeing? What they're seeing is evidence of not a nation that fears God. Not a nation that, that witnesses to who the true God is but one that would disregard the God that they claim to worship. I'm going to tell you right now, the other nations aren't bringing the worst to their worship. They're not bringing the worst of their animals they have to the worship. But here they have done that already. And here they've intermarried and are uh, they've intermarried to the with the idea previously and this previous verses that John handled those previous verses that, that they're taking away from the worship of God because we see this all the time in the Scripture. God warning them about this. And so we look at these, these words. Uh, we're going to see now, as we continue further in Malachi, we're going to see uh, what the issue is that, the, that this other thing is. In verse 14 it says this, Yet you say, for what reason? Why? Why is this happening to us? Why are our, our sacrifices, why is our worship not being accepted? And God says this, Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, yet you say, excuse me, but in verse 15, but no one, but not one has done so, who has a remnant of the Spirit. And what did that one do while he was seeking a godly offspring? Take heed then to your spirit, and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Problem with the priests and the wives is our first level here. The marriage is a marriage covenant here. The issue is, is that they are not treating their wives as they should be. The decrees of divorce that could be had at any given moment are being enacted but through the priesthood. Right? Marriage is a covenant relationship. We talked about oaths and vows in, in Sunday school class today. It is enacted by God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Look at what it says about marriage. It says, The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This is the enactment of the marriage covenant. This is an enactment of a covenant given by God. The way it should be. That of one man and one wife together. Just because you see men with multiple wives in Scripture doesn't mean that God authorized that. Hear me now. Just because David had multiple wives doesn't mean that God was pleased with that. The covenant is between one man and one wife. For the priest is one man and one wife. And yet, what did it say in Malachi? What did it say in those words that he, that he just read there? This is the problem. You wonder why there's weeping on the altar? Why your sacrifices aren't accepted? Why your worship is not seen as well before me, a righteous and holy God? For what reason, it says in 14? Because I am a witness between you and the wife of your youth. I'm a witness between you and the way you are treating her. The wife which I have given you. That covenant that was ordained between you and her by me, you are dealing with it falsely. That marriage ceremony that was performed before witnesses. That blood covenant that was given before God that we see there. And they also have in verse 15 the wondering why there's no godly offspring. I'm going to tell you right now, if you have a 
if you have a good Christian household with a Christian man and a Christian wife that are truly following the Lord, then you have a far better chance of having godly offspring than if you don't. If you are both in covenant together with that, and you are both seeking the Lord together in doing that, you have a far better opportunity for godly offspring than if you don't. If you seek first the kingdom of God before the enjoyment in a relationship here, you seek to be right before a righteous and a holy God before it's just my enjoyment in a marriage relationship, you have a far better chance of witnessing to the children that are in that relationship who God is. To pointing to the God of the universe. To pointing that the God who will bring His Son to this earth to be our Savior. But previously, they had wedded foreign women and foreign gods and proceeded to be in adulterous relationships while still claiming to be God's chosen people. You wonder why your, your sacrifices aren't accepted. Look at the way you're acting. You're supposed to be my representative, and you're acting like the rest of the world out there. You're acting just like the pagan nations. The way you're treating your wives, the gift that I've given from me to you, is just like the pagans do it. You're being just like them. They're being exposed to the problems that they have through this Scripture here. They are not living like a holy nation. They are not living like a kingdom of priests. They're not witnessing the God of Scripture to the nations around them. A God that has graciously rescued them from exile has graciously enabled them to rebuild the temple, and yet they're acting like the world around them. Like the pagan nations. Almost like going through the motions in the same way with their marriage covenants. Those words of Isaiah 29.13, they say with their words one thing, but their heart betrays another thing. The glory of the Lord not being revealed in the Holy of Holies to them, Right? But only darkness is being revealed to them. The darkness of their own hearts. The question to us, knowing the Savior, is, uh, is our, that light that is coming to us, is that exposing the sin in our lives? Are we repenting and believing? Or are we, are we walking in the light of the revealed Savior or the darkness of men? These, these people are walking in in dark places. God is trying through this prophecy to draw them back. Draw them back to Him. It says there at the end of verse 15, Take heed then to your spirit and let no one deal treacherously against the wife of your youth. Verse 16, it says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. For I hate divorce. Why do you think that is? A rhetorical question. Why do you think that is? God said way back there in Genesis, right, where we see that first enactment of the marriage covenant, that this is a bond between a man and a woman, right, where the two become one flesh. Essentially, two are, the two together are greater than the, each individually. That the two... That, that, the, that the two together, two entirely different people, that those together somehow represent something greater than those individually. That in that relationship between the two, it is worshipful in that relationship there for God. That somehow in that relationship, things that we can't quite understand all the machinations of it, because of our sinful nature, is somehow worshipful before God. I can tell you right now that the married couples that are in this room, that they know that forgiveness is a giant part of marriage, correct? And isn't it funny how God acts the exact same way? Forgiveness. Because a marriage without forgiveness is not much of a marriage at all. But somehow in that relationship, that relationship is so important, that covenantal, blood covenantal relationship that is there, 
Think about all the actions that go on in the, the marriage. I don't have enough time to, to go into what the details of a blood covenant are, but we see it on the cross. That's our last one we see. But remember, there's an exchange of food that occurs in a blood covenant. Uh, there is, uh, there's exchange of food. There's vows that are given in a blood covenant. It's done before witnesses. There is a name exchange that occurs in a blood covenant. That the covenant itself goes between, not only just between the two that are married, but their families become enjoined. Okay? I mean, you see that this is what a married, a blood covenant that you see way back with, with Abram and God, you see the very similar things in the marriage covenant. That this is much greater than two people getting together and saying, hey, we should just get together and live together because our taxes will be better. Because if we do that, you know, we're just going to live together. We're not going to get married. We're just going to get together because we have a tax break if we just don't be married, right? You know, we'll be able to split the bills. That'll be good. It isn't like that. You are enjoined to that person that you're married to. And God is saying that, hold a second, when you've been enjoined to that person and now you're divorcing that person because you're on a whim, because it doesn't follow what I have decreed or the reasons that you can divorce from, then what you're dealing is you're saying my covenants are no good. You're saying the things that I've enacted before are no good. You're acting just like the pagan nations out here in the world. You're walking in darkness and wondering why you're not getting the light. You're wondering, walking in darkness and wondering why you're not seeing my glory. Your life is one of worship. You can't separate your belief in God from the rest of your life. You can't come in here and worship God today and then tomorrow and go be a son of the devil and do whatever you want. And these things are happening here in this relationship. This divorce, this sending away in the Hebrew is what it would say. Sending the wife away. I'm tired of you. I'm sending you away. I'm going to get another one. The putting aside of the covenant wife. The problem last week was, marry, was the marrying of foreigners. And the problem this week is the unfaithful priests being unfaithful to their wives. In that, in treating the relationship like it's non-covenantal in its, in its, in its importance that is there. So it would make sense that God would hate divorces. That God would hate that when it happens. It is true that God has allowed divorce in some cases, and we would be remiss if we didn't deal with the, the God-ordained uh, divorce that occurs in Ezra chapter 10, right? Where God says, you, the fact of the matter is you've married these foreign wives, and they have come in, and they have adult, you've, they've caused you to adulterate the worship service that has occurred there, right? Why does God do that? Because they have further and further wandered away. It, it would be worse for them to remain with those people than it would be for them to divorce. But that is the exception and not the rule. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 54. And what does God say here? This is after the, this is after the dispersion. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 5. So the dispersion would be after the exile, the Babylonian exile. This would be the Babylonian exile. So that ends, and now the Jews are dispersed throughout the known world. Okay, they're not necessarily just in and around Jerusalem. And it says this in verse 5 about God. God's seen as our husband. It says this in verse 5. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For your Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. Think about how many times that Israel had committed adultery against God, has chased after foreign beliefs, has chased after foreign gods, has violated the, the commandments, has gone against time and time again, and it says in verse 6, For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your, your God. You have the, 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 the calling back that, that occurs there. You have, that, this is what God says, and he's saying that you, you priests, when you're divorcing your wife just because it's on a whim, uh, when you're, you're doing this, you're not representing me at all. 
you're not representing the God that I am. When you are getting rid of your, sending your wife away on a whim, right? Because maybe you're tired of her. Maybe you had an argument. Maybe you saw someone over here that was better looking and said, I want that as a wife as opposed to this wife that I had from her youth. You're certainly not, as the priest of that nation, representing the nation of who God is. You see, the marriage is more than just your emotions. You see, a lot of people, they want the wedding. They don't want the marriage. They like the party. They don't like what it means to be married. They don't like what it means to be forgiving. They don't like what it means to be grace-filled. They don't like what it means to be merciful. They don't like what it means to say, I'm wrong. They don't like what it means to ask for forgiveness. They want the big party that happens over here. They don't want the work that goes into the marriage. Throughout the scripture, we see God as the husband, right? It says throughout scripture, I have marked down here Isaiah 54, 5, Hosea 2, 16, Jeremiah 31, 32, all refer to, the, and these aren't the only ones, but all refer to the Lord as the husband there. And if that's the God they're representing, and that's what they do, right? For them to divorce their wives, to get rid of their wives, to send them away, isn't representing the God of Israel. Because he certainly didn't send them away. Yes, he sent judgment upon them, but always to draw them back into the relationship. And then if you run right back into the beginning of Malachi chapter 13, how do you possibly wonder that there's weeping on the altar? Look at all that I have done to rescue you time and time and time and time again. How many times have I been grace-filled for you, with you? How many times have I been merciful for you? How many times have I told you what is required of you? I've spelled it out in writing, so you have it. This isn't something you're trying to find. I've told you time and time again, the Lord says to them, I've told you time and time again that I am, a, that I am not only a holy and terrifying God, but I am a merciful and gracious God. And you wonder why your sacrifices aren't accepted? You wonder why your worship isn't accepted? Look at the way you treat the wives in this relationship. And you expect, this, you expect me to accept from you what you wouldn't accept in your own life. I mean, it's important to notice here that this is more than, than just about the, you know, there's bigger things that are going on here than just the marriage, right? It is a life of worship that he's talking about, that the Lord is talking about. I can't prevent from going there right now. I mean, think, think about Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5. It says... Well, before we get to Ephesians chapter 5, the closest thing we have on here on earth as an example of Jesus in the church is the marriage between a man and a woman. That is the absolute closest thing we have. And it says in Ephesians 5 that the man should treat the wife like Christ treated the church. And Christ died for the church. A life of self-sacrifice. If we take this all back to this Malachi passage right here, Right? There's nothing new here. The priests that are married should be self-sacrificial to their wives. Not just sending them away when they're tired of them. They should be self-sacrificial. When we see the shadows that are here that point to the Savior that will come, right? this is the way the marriage should be. And I'll be the first to admit that I am not that person that is self-sacrificial like that. Thank God for my Savior. Right? I'm a sinful man. We were just talking about this today. I, I have to ask for forgiveness at all times. I have to ask for forgiveness even for this message because it's not the perfection that God demands. I have to ask for repentance at all times. Man, a marriage is a great, great chance for repentance. How many times have we sat there and, you know, the, the worst place to be in a marriage, I'll just say, is to be, I want to be right. I want to be right. Boy, is that the wrong place to be. What we should ask for is be grace-filled. 
and repent even to our wives and say, forgive me for being this way. Forgive me for being angry. Because you are the gift that God has given me in this relationship. And by this gift, we represent who God is. Do you get, Those who are married out here, have you ever thought about that? By your marriage relationship represents the righteous and holy God of all creation. That that represents that to the outside world. That the people are to look at that and see the Savior that you worship. To see that sacrificial love that is there. And when we look back to Malachi, what's he saying? He says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. In him who covers the garment with wrongs, says the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. It is violence when you, when you divorce your wife. This thing that is supposed to, to, to show the world who I am in this little relationship between a man and a woman that's greater than the individuals themselves. They are people to see how righteous and holy God is. They are supposed to look into that and see sacrificial love that happens there. But when the priests who are supposed to be teaching the nation I can get rid of my wife. Just like they brought the lame to the, they accepted the lame in the worship, right? They're saying it's okay to the people. They're saying your your marriage means nothing. You could do whatever you want. God's not looking. But I assure you, He is. And I understand that there are people in this room that are that are divorced, and that is a horrible thing to do. And I understand that there is a, that, that, that life is full of repentance and sinful people do sinful things all the time. But God is a forgiving God. God is a gracious God. God is a God who will not break the reed that is bent. Right? When you seek Him out, He will give you sustenance. Right? He, he will uplift you. Correct? He is pleading here in these words, repent and turn back to Me. Stop doing the things that you're doing. Stop doing these examples of, of, of pagan living. Turn back to me is what he's saying. Walk in the light of knowing who the Lord is. Don't walk in the darkness as men do. Jesus had so many things to say about marriage, didn't He? He talked about those relationships in marriage. Look at Matthew 5, 31-32. Just for example, Matthew 5, 31-32. He talks right there about divorce. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, catch this. The Pharisees apparently didn't listen to what was said in Malachi because we're approximately 500 years later and they're still doing the same thing. They were called to repentance back in Malachi. Jesus is calling them to repentance here. You're still doing the same thing. You're still chasing after worldly ways. Jesus models marriage for us, dying for the church. As such, the husband should treat the wife the same way. Self-sacrificial love. In marriages, we are to lift up our spouses in prayer. We should be praying for our spouse's growth in Christ. We should be praying that they know the Lord greater. We should realize that, that our spouses are a gift from God. And that we should also realize that those marriages, as I said before, are an example to the people outside of our marriage of what it looks like to be Christ followers. And it can't be said enough that this Jesus and his relationship with the church is exemplified in our marriages. That self-sacrificial love, that giving of unmerited grace uh, that is there.
uh, that you know we don't require our spouses to jump through hoops to get things, right? That we give them willingly to them, that we are merciful and grace-filled to them. But there's more than that that is here. Uh, there's more uh, of what we see in these verses of Malachi than, than just, just about the marriage. As I said before, it's an example of what is happening in their marriages there with those priests. Uh, it's an example of what they truly believe and what they're doing and how they're behaving. The question I asked uh, before was, are you walking in the light revealed by the Savior or in the darkness of men? Their lives are to be lives of sacrifice. Our lives are to be lives of sacrifice. Our lives are not our own. Our lives are owned by the Lord Himself. Are we, are we bringing our lives as an acceptable offering to God? Do our lives, when we bring those, our lives to the altar, is it acceptable to our Lord? You see, this isn't a passive faith. We are called to be sanctified. We are called to seek His righteousness. We are called to, to be holy because He is holy. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians 4, 1. <clears throat> Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, that's Paul, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. The priests in Malachi were called to walk in a manner that was worthy of the station that they had. They were called to, to, to perform the duties of the priest uh, to bring those sacrifices before a righteous and a holy God. They were called to, to, to bring the animals up and slaughter the animals and take the blood into the Holy of Holies. Their lives were called to live as lives of priests. That people could see what they did and say, that is an example of our righteous and holy God. He is both holy and gracious and merciful to us. In that part of Malachi, we see that they certainly weren't treating their wives as they should be, the wives that were given in covenant to them. They weren't exemplifying this, what, what, what Paul said, walking in a manner worthy of the calling which they had. So are we walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ? Remember, the priesthood is gone. Jesus is the priest, the prophet, the priest, the king. He is our priest. And as such, our lives are called to be that sacrifice, to live in a manner worthy of the calling. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Is our lives, are our lives walking, are, 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 we, are we walking in the light of knowing the Lord and Savior or are we walking in darkness? What are your offerings to God? Is your marriage an offering to God? Or is it just something you're doing? Are our lives, are our prayers going up before the Lord as a aroma like Cornelius's did? Remember Cornelius from Acts chapter 10? who sought the Lord. And it said his prayers came up before the Lord as a, as a wonderful aroma, right? And he becomes saved. Are we living that life of sacrifice of Romans 12, 1 and 2? Are we seeking the Lord? Are we seeking to be worthy of the calling that we have been called to? Or are we still living in a worldly manner? And are we living in... here? Back to Malachi. So they weren't living the way they should have been, right? 
They weren't exemplifying the role of the priest, right? Okay, they weren't being the example for the people, correct? Uh, they, weren't, they weren't showing the people what it was like to follow God, right? The, they weren't showing the people what it was like to be a joyful follower of God, right? And then they wondered why their sacrifices weren't being accepted. They were treating their wives poorly, and they were wondering why their sacrifices weren't being accepted. They were bringing poor worship, and they were wondering, poor, poor sacrifices, and they were wondering why their worship wasn't being accepted. And if we're not seeking the Lord in our own lives, we could wonder why we don't have any joy, why we don't have any contentment, right? If I'm not actively seeking to, if I'm not actively seeking a life that is pleasing to the Lord, I can be discontent, fearful, unjoyful, unmerciful, graceless to everyone around me. I might be saved, but just barely. Right? But I will tell you this right now. If we seek the Lord out, if we seek to live that life of sacrifice, if we seek to be imitators of Him, the joy comes a lot more, a lot easier. The contentment comes a lot easier. I could look at the crazy stuff that goes on in the world and say, all right, but to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. I get it. Gas prices are going up. Maybe I won't be able to drive as far, but I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus has taken that weight of sin off my back. And I want to be more like Him. And I want to tell people more about Him. And I want people to see Him in our marriage relationship if I'm married. And if I'm not married, I want people to see Jesus in the life that I live around other people. I want to see people, I want people to come to Jesus because I can't help but tell them about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me and how Jesus has taken the weight of sin off of me and how Jesus has taken the change of this world off of me. I want to point them to the Savior. I want to point them to the cross and that they too can know the Savior. I don't want to be like these priests and wonder why I'm so miserable. Well, maybe it's because of the way you're living. Maybe because you have all the answers right here and you don't even open the book. Maybe it's sitting on like... like, like on the top shelf and there's dust covering it. You can write your name in it. God has given it to us. He will tell you all about what the great things He has done and the promises that come in, this, in, in the salvation that is available for you. And you sit there and you say, I believe in Jesus, but I, uh, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm not going to seek to know anything more about it. I worry for your souls if you're like that. Those are the things that keep you up at night. Those are the things that keep a pastor up at night. Wondering if people are seeking it out. I can point you to the Savior. I can tell you who He is. I can lead you up to the cross. But if you say you believe in the Savior, but you do nothing about that, sa that saving faith that you have, you do nothing to grow in it, I am seriously worried for your souls. I'm concerned for your souls. Because the gift is so great, wouldn't you want to know more and more and more and more about it? We were just talking after service today. In 1 Peter, the angels long to look into salvation and understand it. If the angels that are flying around the thrones long to understand it, shouldn't you seek it out yourselves? If you claim to be a believer. Because if you're not, my doubts are that you truly are. The angels long to look in and understand it, and it has been given as such a great gift. Oh, I pray that you would seek it out. These priests are in such danger because what they're doing is whatever they want to do. They're not representing God. They're not seeking God. They're just doing what they want. Married, unmarried, doesn't matter. Married foreigners don't. Bring in the lame and, the lame and blind, doesn't matter. They're not seeking out God. But we have the warnings in here. Be like Christ. Be like Him. Be an imitator of Him. Ephesians 5.25, where he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Up for her. Live in that life if you're married. Be that way. Are we taking up our cross? Matthew 8, 34 and 30, 38, to follow the Lord of life. So these words, as I'm quickly running out of time, 
These words of Malachi speak at many different levels. Don't just look at it as a marriage passage, but it's talking about a life of worship that is there. It points to priests that are being disobedient and in turn they're leading the nation down a wrong pathway. We are called. Uh, we should be called. We should be ending, seeking to end the sin in our life. Because when we do, then, then we get the comfort of our Savior knowing that He's true. The one who started the good work in you will surely finish it. Repent like the priests were called to do. Repent and turn back to the Lord. Repent from your worldly ways and turn back to Jesus. Don't wonder and wonder why you have tears, but repent to the Lord and He will comfort you. Seek to kill the sin in your life and He will strengthen you. John 4, 20-24. John 4, 20-24. What does he say? Our fathers, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where the men ought to worship. So you'll recognize this as the woman at the well. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, in an hour is coming when neither, when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Your worship, what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The temple, the altar that they went to before is now us. As believers, the spirit is found in us. And I urge you to seek that out. To seek to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you've been called to do. To repent to the Lord and believe what He has said. To know the comfort that comes from Him. To not walk in the darkness, but to walk in the light that has been revealed by our Savior. Let's pray. Glorious and Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for this opportunity to, to speak from Your Word. And please be with all those who have heard this Word today. Uh, please settle us in His heart. Let us read it more this week. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. And now we have a slight break. We're going to go into a time of communion.